In this episode, we're talking with first custodian artist Jandamara Cad about connection to country, art as therapy, and how to talk to your kids about racism. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Farrell. Today we have the privilege of speaking with Jandamara Kad, a Yorta Yorta and Daja Warung descendant, artist and father. Jandamara is an inspirational man with many stories to tell. Jandamara's artwork is emotive and insightful and is a powerful medium to bridge the storytelling divide between Aboriginal and mainstream Australia. Painting has been a way of life that has enabled him to express his creativity and storytelling and in many of his paintings of the human condition, he seeks to be a peaceful voice for unity. Jandamara uses a variety of styles and mediums with his unique blend of traditional Aboriginal art techniques, along with his own signature contemporary portraiture. Jandamara has not only been a finalist in every major portrait art prize in Australia, but is also in very high demand as an inspirational speaker and ambassador, and we are very, very lucky to have him on the show. Now, before we start the interview, we usually like to invite you all to subscribe to our podcast, share a quote on social media or some other action to spread the word about the podcast and our guests. But today we'd like to ask you something different. First, we'd like you to jump on your social media apps right now, pause this episode if you need to, and whether that be Facebook or Instagram, go and follow Jandamara. So he's J-A-N-D-A-M-A-R-R-A. Now, once you've done this, We'd like you to go and be a bit of a creeper and look at who is following Jandamara or find the similar pages area and go and find at least five other First Nations voices that you'd like to follow and engage with. Now, with social media stalking us every day and narrowing our algorithms, we truly believe it's so important for us to consciously make an effort to diversify our feeds, to hear voices other than our own, and particularly those voices that may be on the fringes, so that we can better understand the world from a different point of view and privilege. Please try and engage in these pages wherever you can, whether that's a share, a comment, a save, or a like, because if you like but don't engage in a page, it can make the algorithm think that people have bought likes and can lead to shadow bans. This goes with all people and businesses that you follow, actually. So if you love a business, please engage with them. Then if you can do this once a week or at least once a month, I promise you'll notice your feed changing to a more well-rounded, realistic view of the world. And our hope is that this will lead to more understanding and in turn, more compassion and less difference. We are more similar than we are different after all. Thanks for being a part of making a change in the world. However small it might seem, it does all make a difference. But now let's talk to Jandamara. Welcome to the show, Jandamara. I can't tell you how excited I am to have you on here. We met very briefly, probably a year or two ago, and I was just blown away by your calm and your outlook on life and your stillness. And so I've been really looking forward to chatting to you and getting to know you better since then. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Ah, thank you for the invitation to come and share in this 
beautiful dialogue. I always like to start with an acknowledgement, um, whether it's in presence or online, and I'd like to acknowledge where I live at the moment on Gubby Gubby Kabi Kabi land. Pay my respects to those that have walked on, lived on, and held ceremony on this country for over 2,000 generations. My deepest, deepest respects to the ancestors and to the elders past, present, and those emerging today. Your way. Thank you so much for that, Jandamara. It's just been, I think, uh, having someone come on um, who is from country, we haven't, you know, we are 50 episodes in and this is a disgrace on our behalf. You're our first uh, First Nations, first custodian person on here. We, You know, we have tried to get other people on and that they are coming on, but we need more voices and we need as uh, as white Australians to be opening up this dialogue more and more often and to be hearing more stories to be able to, to bring this connection, I think. So let's start by, first of all, telling us who you are, where you're from, and let's go from there. I'm Jan Damara, Jan Damara Cad. I, I was born into an Aboriginal and or a mixed, you know, race family with my father Scottish and Swedish and my mother Aboriginal. Not to define myself particularly to these things, but they have been a big influence upon how my life has played out. I grew up in Brisbane. I'm a Yorta Yorta, Daja Warong man, which means on my mother's people, they came from Victoria. Um, I grew, as I said, I grew up in Brisbane, so I had a lot of a time and affiliation on um, Turrbal country as well as up here on Gubby Gubby country. Growing up, I, I suppose today I'm quite known as a person that uses a paintbrush for their voice, and from this, I've been part of a multitude of things using my physical voice as well as my presence to stand for those things that unite us rather than divide us in seeing that we are all part of this together, you know, white, black, woman, man, blue, green, whatever it be, gay, straight, we are one. And in that oneness, we start to realize that we are part of this intricate web of wholeness and we all affect this whole collective field. So for me, I'm really interested through my painting, using it, paintings, using it as an invitation to draw people back to their natural sense of empathy and a natural sense of understanding who we are on a greater greater level, which is more intimate than the actual breath that we take. It's something that is within us. I was introduced to a paintbrush, you know, to just shortcut things. I was introduced to a paintbrush at the age of 16 while serving time in a juvenile institution. Sure, I I had used a paintbrush before then in school and things, but it wasn't something that was part of a natural inward journey of expression outwardly. It was just paint and it was just a brush. And so through a means of, you know, being locked in isolation and after a few years in and out from the age of 13 to 17, incarcerated, living on the streets, all sorts of situations which I see the beautiful silver lining would never wish anyone else to go through and would never wish to go back there again but Mm. see the silver lining of how it really developed a deep sense of empathy within me to understand that there is no other there is only self reflected in everything around us 
And so my paintings, not straight away, but over time, started to refine themselves to reflect this awakening. And sometimes people need a tap on the shoulder. Sometimes people need a slap in the face. (laughs) I believe I really needed to be knocked down and being locked in isolation, you know, fed half half rations of food in cold weather, sometimes laying there in my own feces, vomit, urine and blood. You know, it was an awakening and a very harsh awakening, but I had a choice. Either I could go, that situation defines me and defines the rest of my life, or I can see that that situation is a, is a dawn awakening, is awakening within my spirit to, to see that I am not the story. I, I acknowledge the beautiful story that it is, but I am not that story, and that story doesn't tell me how I can live my life. And since then, signposts open up. People come into my life. I believe my heart opened to manifest situations, to create opportunities. How I saw it was I saw this little tiny seed that I was given at those moments. And that little seed, I had to nourish it and nurture it and give it love. And over time, that turned into a little shrub, a little bush, and then it grew into a forest. And now it is an amazing forest that sustains my life. And I see myself in loving devotion to this, not in, oh, you know, I must do this because loving devotion, because this, to me, this servitude to this, um, this way of bringing unity, inviting unity, inviting dialogue of walking together, there is no other higher purpose for me. I mean, sure, money has a purpose, things have a purpose, but to me, all of that is wallpaper to this truth. This is what I think has the the beautiful presence that you have to have overcome where you've been and to come to these realisations, the journey that that must have been and the power, not the power, that's the wrong word, the empowerment from that. I think it's it's just beautiful. It's, it's an incredible story, but it's probably more incredible the the peace that you have found. What do you think um, has has got you here to go from where you were, like you said, in a cell in isolation with no connection to where you are watering the seed now? A big part of it is nature. And um, for me, uh, my saving grace was we had a lot of bush up the back of our property where I grew up in Tingalpa, which is a suburb of Brisbane. For me to wander off, to be part of that, I mean, I remember even specifically, I don't know whether it was every full moon, but most of those full moons from when I was about four up until I was, you know, can remember, I used to, when my family would all be asleep, I'd go and walk even up to 250 metres off into the bush by myself. You know, probably as a four-year-old, not that far, but a little bit later I used to explore. And this was, and I felt so at home. I felt like I was held and I was walking tall with the grass, the trees, even the animals lurking around at night. And that moon, that to me is home. And I realize now it wasn't the things themselves. It was the connection that I was experiencing as I was hard to define where one thing began and I ended. It was such. So even when I took off and lived on the streets and, you know, was a very angry young man, which was a thin veneer, to the deep sadness that I was feeling and lack of 
lack of connection to other things in my life. I remember laying in fields on the streets, you know, and just when I say on the streets, not literally on the pavement, but in parks or in bushland, which often I sought out to spend my time. And I would lay there and I would feel like the world disappeared. The thing that, you know, growing up feeling like you're a stain on society because you grow up as an Aboriginal person, all of those things, all the stuff that you experience that makes you feel like you're not welcome here, it just disappeared in those moments. Uh, I think that was a, a, a great aspect that has forever remained a constant reference point in my life. Even being locked in that cell where there was no grass and you could see very limited sky, it was within. And every time I saw it without, it was like, it was just a reflection. So I didn't need to have my feet on the ground, on the grass, even though it's so beautifully and beautifully beneficial for my wellness. But it, I realized that it was within. So that, that to me was a great thing. Uh, also, I could attribute it to my mom and my dad. They, their stories are even, you know, whatever percentage you could put on mine, are even way, way more challenging in comparison. And what they did to provide us with opportunities, you know, though they didn't have no a, a lot of love in themselves and I didn't get a lot of hugs and kisses growing up or a lot of that kind of emotional stuff, I felt like I was at times on my own wandering through the wilderness. What they did give me is moral integrity. What they did give me was to take the high ground on things, was to use your voice to speak up, to stand up, and never be ashamed of who you are and where you come from. These are some of the things which have been solid reference points in those deep, dark moments, which I believe are essential for the weathering of character to really, because I believe for me, can't speak for any other, the deeper and darker that I've gone into my own trauma, whether it be intergenerational or personal, I believe the more ability I'm able to love, the more ability I'm able to feel. And when I say feel, feel life, feel like I'm connected to it, feel my community, feel my connection to culture, feel my connection to my family, my two beautiful daughters. So, I, uh, yes, I, I do believe that nature and um, certain people along the way that have been keenly instrumental in allowing me to empower myself and walk tall as opposed to shrink down and um, become a victim to those circumstances. It's just, yeah, it's beautiful. And, and, you know, that's a part of what we do, obviously, and you've been down to our site recently, our beautiful little forest. Uh, but we have so many people come down who are disconnected from country and nature uh, or perhaps never had the opportunity to connect when they were children and are afraid of nature. Do you have any suggestions for people that fear nature about how they might grow to connect again? Uh, there's a saying or, 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 or a word that it's called didiri, and this means deep listening. I tread lightly here because I don't want anyone to ever feel from my words that I judge or determine or say what's right or wrong. I, I wish to clarify that, that I have no right or wrong. I don't, there is just all difference and everyone is perfectly where they are. But the dairy, you know, we've been indoctrinated to believe that we need to 
that the, the mental understanding, intellectualism is at the epitome of our means of evolution and society. But as much as it is great to use your mind and intellectual ability to work out and problem solve, our intuition has very much been severed. And the dairy is an intuitive connection without making it too complex. In an experience of connection, it is not the things. The fish does not connect with the water. They are one and the same. They might look separate, but it is not the things themselves. Because even if you take that down and dismantle the fish and take it down to its refined points and the water, there is more space there than there is physical matter. So the, the, the theory is deep listening. It is connection, understanding you are one with everything. When you sit in the bush and you just listen, you don't have to. It's not about effort. It's about just allowing your essential nature to surface because we've often pushed it down, suppressed it, severed it, hidden it, veiled it over with all of these things that we've been told to believe. So, for instance, you know, a lot of us, well, including definitely I'll speak for myself, when I was younger it was get a job make a living, you know, have a lot of stuff, which is fine, you know, and that's 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 the essence of your life. That's your goal. That was, for me, veiling over the feeling that I felt was really true to me, which was my connection with nature, where I would sit in the moonlight. It doesn't mean that I sacrifice having a job or I sacrifice, you know, whatever it be, I can see how it's instrumentally through the educational system, through a whole of life, TV, billboards, everything, even conversations we're meant to have on a very superficial level, which we're kind of shaped into by society. It keeps us with basing our identity upon things rather than upon our connection. For instance, with, um, and this is again, no, no right or wrong because I see that they have value. Every culture has value to give on each side. But often when in the Western format, when you catch up with someone, it's like, what job do you do? What car do you drive? Well, are you a doctor? What role do you have? Whereas for mob, a lot of them, when they first get, hey, where your country? Where, where your people from? What your song lines? You know, what's your totem? And this is a physical representation of understanding identity and how it um, melds into each other and understand personal identity and how it relates to another on that physical level but seeing connection on that deeper level. So for me, um, you know, using that to come back to what you share, I believe if people just spend time a little bit, often we've um, learned to believe that nature is scary and it's bad and it's something we need to push further away and um, you know, have more about. But often that anxiety comes about because we are seeking the very thing that we're pushing away. And yet we just haven't been given the tools or the means or the understanding to sit and, as I say, Dadiri, deeply listen to our spirit in those birds, in those trees, in the wind between those leaves. You know, some say it's the negative ions in the water, waterfalls, the ocean in the leaf, wind in the, you know, through the trees. That's part of it on a physical level. But deeper down, there's a, a softening and relaxing 
into ourselves, into our true eternal self, something that will never be born and never die. It is ever present. So, yeah, I hope, I hope that answers. Yeah, I, I think, like you said, it's, it's as simple as that and it's as complex as that, isn't it? Making the time to just yes. sit and be. Now, you've created a beautiful uh, walking on country practice with your girls. Do you mind talking a little bit about what you do on, on those days? No, sure. So I share um, time with my girls, with their mama, who her and I are no longer together. So week on, week off situation. And when the girls are with me for the week, um, I designate two days, one day each for them. I mean, we do this irregardless um, most of the time we spend together. But on those two days, I, they're at school. I take them out singly. Um, Mindari and Nanyara, I'll take them out one day each. And we go out with the intention of communing with country For in that it is, it's like a sacred text. So we read the signposts. We we immerse ourselves in its understanding or its, its teaching. Often we will go out and we'll see a little track, animal track. We'll follow that animal track. Uh, we'll see bush foods. We'll find some berries. And if we don't know what it is, we'll collect a few and ask our beautiful gubby gubby carby carby uh, mob here and see what they are. I have a habit of tasting some first, which probably isn't <laughs> the best role model of being. But, but for me... Yeah, I know. Maybe not be here one day, but at least I, you know, enjoyed my process. So, um, um, something that people may not be aware of, and it is, it's pretty heavy past. Of, you know, when I say past, it, it, it is intergenerational trauma walks around with a lot of us mob. I've carried it. When I say carried it, it's been a, a part of my life for a long time. In that intergenerational trauma. Aboriginal people hold the highest rate of suicide in the entire world. We make up 2 to 3% of the population in Australia. We have the highest rate of incarceration in the entire world and amongst the lowest life expectancy. These are real statistics. And these are just a reflection of that severing of connection. When I say that, the systematic severing that the White Australia policy and such things here have taken place deliberately displacing off land, stolen generation, you know, the massacres, the, the mass rapings that ended up with all these light-skinned children that they took away. So because of that reality, I see my girls as the whole being that they are and they are not mine to own, but it is my loving role to give them the tools and the grounding to navigate the rest of their lives how they choose and will to. And in that, I do believe that, as I shared, this intellectual process has a place, understanding how to read and write and the logic, but I also wish to develop their intuitive, deeper, connective self. And in walking on country, what we're doing is communing with ourselves spiritually, whether it's at a waterfall, at the beach, in the bush, digging a hole, looking for you know, uh, 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 certain grubs or whatever it be. So in this, what I wish to hopefully support is them not feeling they get to that place where they need to, you know, end up in such possible invitation to deeper, dire situations, which I've been faced with in my life and I've lost 
quite a number family members and friends and beautiful community to this intergenerational trauma. My girls do show evidence that they carry this and it's not abundant. You know, it's lessening and lessening as we, we all heal together. So walking country is such a beautiful way. When I approached the school and said, I, I'm, I'm planning to do this, and until you have something in place that you have it embedded in the schools, which is not happening and it's not part of. So until that happens, I will take on that responsibility. I will, you know, take time out of my life to make sure that happens because I want fully grounded, fully matured beings emotionally, not just intellectually or mentally, but emotionally and psychically developed, which doesn't happen in so much in the schools. No, that is so powerful. It's the the fact that A, a you're doing that, but B, that you're, you're pointing that out and that the schools flat out, honestly, cannot say that they're able to provide that. What, what can we do for our First Nations, our first custodian children in schools? What, what can we do to make school a better place culturally and safer? How can we make them safer for our First Nations kids? Well, it really is a simple thing. We need to embed more First Nation values, First Nation ways, language, ceremony, dances, stories. As much as there is little bits and there are some great, amazing teachers that working within the system that do the best they can and their hats off to them, you know, because they're really doing amazing things in bringing it into their, their, the collective of their, their classroom. But, you know, it really originates to broader Australia seeing the value of First Nation culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we've heard this term, it's the oldest living continuous culture in the world. But if you think, you know, this is something that still people are ashamed or embarrassed about in this country. And this is because of deliberate propaganda, deliberate perspective that was driven as part of a, a narrative to see Aboriginal people as a backward race of savages rolling around the dirt. So it was justified that they could take the land, justified that they could oppress them, they could even murder them because it's like until 1967, for those that don't know, Aboriginal people were classed as fauna. So there was no law in the country if you went up and shot an Aboriginal person, there was no law in the country that could take you to task on that. Yeah, this is my parents' generation. Uh, You know, it's so, it's, it's modern history still. It's not long ago at all. It's just an absolute disgrace. It is. And, you know, it's not about guilt or shame. It's about all of us feeling what it's like, a deep sense of empathy. If something happens here, a cyclone, a flood, a fire, a great accident, you know, it doesn't happen. It happens anywhere in the world. They are often beautiful catalysts or opportunities for people to get in touch with their deep, deep empathy. And when I say that, you know, often people will jump into the flood of a water raging torrent to go and save that person stuck in their car. They don't even think about it. They don't go, hey, hang on, are you white? Are you <laughs> black? Are you Catholic? Are you woman? They just, mm. they just do because I believe our central nature is not dog-eat-dog, dog, it is empathy. Yes. So when it comes yes. to such things as the, 
the past that we've had here, you know, still you've got so many uh, collectively in Australia and mainstream Australia that still say, why don't you effing get over it, get a job and be like the rest of us. Whereas if you said that to the Holocaust victims or, 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 you know, those, there'd be a national uproar. If you said Mm. it to the diggers, I mean, what's that saying? Lest we forget. You know, and beautiful that is, lest we forget. But for mm. Aboriginal people, for some reason, because of that propaganda, backward race of savage, they don't have the same rights or same um, empathy or understanding imposed. So we need to have into the schools this full-rounded where there's a value and appreciation that's also uh, generated by understanding the hidden truth, bringing it all out, mm. not about guilt or shame, about understanding. They have gone through mass genocide culturally, physically, emotionally, and mentally, and psychically, and mm. to, and all of that. So it's like what you're seeing with the suicides, the incarceration, life, this is just a mere tip of the iceberg reflection. And, yes, those that aren't of that lineage, you could say, um, which I don't mean to separate because it's not about that, but those could look at it and go, well, it's not my pain, but that's not true. That trauma is all of us. You here living, walking on this land, this land carries that trauma. You are that trauma, I'm sorry to say. But so mm-hmm. when you get to realise that the true pain, and I just wish to say on that, First Nations people, it was documented by European as well as First Nation mob that there was no cases of tooth decay. There was no known sickness, no diabetes, no heart disease, no no sickness, no flus, no, all of that. There was no known crime rates. You're sure there was aspects of things that happened, but there was no jails. There was no known suicide. Now tell me if that's a backward race and that's way <laughs> back there and we're progressing over here, how can we not look at that and see the value of that? I'm not saying mm-hmm. we're wrong where we are. When we're getting sicker, the suicide rates are going up, when crime rates are going up, when all of these things decay emotionally, mentally and physically are happening on such rampant rates, how can progress not be taken at looking at the footprints that are back there that offer some way for us to be more sustainable rather than we're seeing our demise if not? But this again, you know, comes back to the schooling and aspects of seeing the value rather than, you know, what we've been indoctrinated to believe about First Nations people, not only here, but all around the world. So it, it, it is, it is, it's so complex, but yet, as you said, the, the contrast of it is, is so simple. But because we've lived, we're li- now living in a very complex kind of way, simplicity is so made so complex i would have liked to have hoped that covid and you know the lockdown and pandemic and having you know this global pause i know a lot of people have come to us and said i've i've had time to stop and i've I've paused and i've slowed down and i've realized how much more we needed to get into nature but i can already see it creeping back in again so quickly and the pace hastening again and I know it's probably a little bit different here in Australia because it's particularly in Queensland um, and a separate to Melbourne that, you know, we only had a small pause, whereas perhaps the UK and America and some other places are still in that lockdown. But 
How, how did you and your family go in 2020 with the pandemic and with lockdown and with the Black Lives Matter protests? I mean, it was quite a year. How, how do you how do you process all of those things at once? So for me, lockdown wasn't too different in some ways because, you know, we I, have, I live on 10 acres here. I choose to live on 10 acres and have created a world that, you know, is supported by being immersed in nature more so and it's ground zero for me. So the girls and I spent a lot more time, a lot of time just here. We went to the beach and we respected people's social distancing. Um, and without any, as again, I, I don't wish anyone to be telling me how I should live my life, just as I don't wish to tell anyone how they should live their life. I believe in strong, healthy, vibrant immune system in developing that. I don't believe for my girls and for me, I'm not saying I'm anti-vaccine, but I don't believe in them needing to receive a needle with something in it to try and stimulate their immune system. I believe in, you know, eating the dirt. I believe in, you know, getting a little bit of a sickness, a flu or cold or something that goes around to strengthen the immune system. So for us, obviously, naturally, that last year was an interesting journey because, you know, you're, you're navigating different ways and different things. But a lot of the time, we spend our time in nature. We spend our time close as a family. I suppose the thing I felt was interesting was as soon as that came on in March, all of my activities and movements were all gone off the calendar. So it was interesting to go, wow, now <laughs> that is is something I'm we're going to have to look at. And for a moment, there was initial bit of fear. I don't see fear as an unhealthy thing. I see it as an invitation to grow and evolve and move with what is. And it did. It, it invited me to grow and evolve. One thing I noticed is um, we went to get a few more chickens. We had 13, but we thought we'd get a few. All the chickens were all sold. All the seeds were all sold. <laughs> seeds. You know, oh, it was like, but this, I mean, toilet paper, granted, but those things themselves, <laughs> the seeds and chickens and all of that it was like wow this is amazing this is amazing to see if this lasts or not at least people see when things really get hard or happen this is where yes. the sustainability is they realize this is our essential innate primal nature is to come back to these connections so you can see when the machine starts back up it can then draw us back in but hopefully as you say Seeds have been awakened or within people to go, yeah, I don't need to. And I have had some friends go, I no longer need to work five days a week. Three days is fine. I really don't need more things. I mean, yes, every now and again, but I don't. The belief that I need to keep updated with things and all of this, which which was a beautiful catalyst, um, you know, and there's lots of things that have come from that, which is still a concern for me about mandatory this and mandatory that. And for me, you know, I have to have to meet those things where they're at, but I will stand in my truth and what I feel and believe and resonate with and not in opposition and not in challenging other people's choices. I think it always comes down to sovereignty over our bodies and sovereignty over our feelings and emotions. So you know, like no one owns that sky, the sun, the ocean, the stars. 
And like when mob, traditional mob, say the traditional owners or custodians, what they are saying is they have had thousands and thousands of years of relationship, intimacy with all of these things around. So they are the people that you would go to to understand how to live proper way. When I say proper way, with that deep, deep, deep connection of spirituality, not religious, um, what I'm referring to, um, beautiful within every religion is a spiritual connection which is unclothable by the, um, the, the, the structure of uh, religiousness. But in that, you know, we all belong. And in that belonging, if I went over to Scotland or Sweden, where my father's countries are, I would be asking that mob, what you do here, where you go fishing, you know, what's the time? Um, you know, when I say that with COVID, I think the girls and I went and wandered the coast and we understood and we saw the patterns of the, you know, the sea eagle diving for the mullet shawls which meant the leader fish had passed. You could go and, you know, you could fish. If you fish when that hasn't happened, um, you're, what you're doing is you're catching these fish that have been million-year cycles guiding the young ones to the safe ground so they can spawn and, you know, or, or sorry, flourish and grow without being gobbled up. So it's these little things, looking at the red claw f- flower that, you know, says the mud crabs are ready. We didn't find any, but, you know, it's like <laughs> understanding those relationships is, gives you an insight yeah. into how intricately connected we really are to everything. Yeah, those synchronicities are just, I definitely, it's something since moving up here, I'm, I'm from Sejuna, um, Wiradjuri, and, and it's just the synchronicities are different, of course, everywhere, but I find there's many more cycles here because I don't know whether it's just more abundant because of the rain or I, I'm fascinated by the synchronicities and cycles here. There just seems so many more. I don't know. I probably just have learnt more here because of where I am and perhaps the history was more hidden back then and more um, inaccessible. And I know we had one semester of Australian history in my entire high school and out of that it would have been one term of Indigenous history and I can tell you it came from a very white textbook and there was no, absolutely no talk of, of the agricultural practices and, and the harvesting and the farming of wheats and the, you know, the fishing, oh, the, the damming. I had no idea that there were wooden dams 40,000 years ago, yes. you know, and that's been hidden. Yes. And that's, we then become, as teachers, if we haven't been taught that, I mean, I'm an ex-high school teacher, is that I then become the gatekeeper because I don't know that knowledge. So how do we, yes. if it's not at university, it's, it really lies within teachers ourselves to go and seek that out. So is there anyone you would recommend for primary school, high school teachers or just flat-out human beings? to go and discover um, more about the true history of our First Nations people? Well, the best way to do that is to invite First Nations people into the classroom because they're the ones that are living visual narratives of this. You know, young ones, older ones, if you can get elders there. You know, funny thing in this society, which as I say, it's not about making it wrong or bad, but it's so saddening to see our elders after they've turned the cogs of the wheel, they're now pushed to the side and they become almost, you know, something that is not, not of so much worth anymore. Whereas they are the 
they are the gatekeepers. They are the connectors. They are the holders of no matter what lineage, the stories, the, 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 the glue of what made got us to where, you know, to a certain point gave us who we are, you know, as the next generations after. So bringing them in. And part of that, you know, uh, uh, not having that available in universities or schools, as you say, is part of, again, the systematic thing of not seeing, like as you say, knowing about the damming, knowing about the eel traps, knowing about the yam farms, everything, the grasses, the, the potato, all of that stuff. It says that they had, they were, cult, you know, they weren't nomadic wanderers just wandering around looking in the dark. So it debunks the thing that they're backward race of savages. They don't mm-hmm. want that because then people will go, wow, we need to listen. We need to see the value. But anyway, in in that, bringing First Nations people into the classrooms and being a part of it. Um, in this, understanding that what they share is a part of all of our history now because when you walk this land, you're a custodian. No matter what race or what sex or what background you are, you, you are walking on this land in footprints that have origins of over 2,000 generations. And that is understanding that, you know, the foods that grew here, they didn't need pesticides. They didn't need all these things that you need with these introduced agricultural things. You didn't need to add things to the soil because they could extract everything out of, you know, what you see as a dry, desolate soil. They could extract nutrients out. You know, Davidson Plum has something like eight to ten times the vitamin C of oranges, you know, because it can extract out of the soil. They grow on my property here. And the driest, you know, what I would see is I couldn't plant any traditional crop. They just wouldn't go. They'd probably be very stunted and get eaten by the grasshoppers. Yeah, so <laughs> you'd need to spray them. <laughs> it's, right. So living on this country, if we ate more of those bush foods, we would start to see that our bodies are organized on this country. Those, those, they just they extract more nutrients that we need. So we don't need as many supplements. We don't need to use sprays on the yams. We don't need to. And understanding when the silky oak up here on Gubby Gubby country is flowering, the freshwater eels out there, it's at its plumpest. It's ripe to go down and get. And it's at a time when the I believe the omega-3 in it is at its richest. So the nursing mamas, you know, and the children and the elderly, this was medicine. It wasn't something outside of your food was medicine. But the food you understood was part of the land and the land was you. So you're, it's all part of your identity. And it's like that saying, when there's a fruit tree or something, you don't take all those fruits, not only because it's selfish, but you get to understand that you're taking away from your identity and full expression with the birds, with itself seeding mm-hmm. to grow others for future. Something that is in contrast to this society today also is that we wish to take more, dig deeper and build higher, extract more from future generations' ability of, you know, or, or enjoyment of abundance. This is what we class as Rama Rama, like, this is your children too and your grandchildren, whether it be Adani or whoever. This, How do you not see this? Should we not be leaving it in a better place? So that mentality that came here 238 years ago was like, 
And I say it's not colour of skin, it's a mentality. What a backward race of savages. They didn't even (laughs) invent a wheel. Well, they didn't need to build a wheel to carry the materials to build a big deck and a house to look out over the water. They would just Mm. sit on the grass under a tree and look out over the water. They were in for them. I'm not to say it was perfect, you know, in every way, but they were in the Garden of Eden. Everything was provided Mm. and it was in harmony. It was in balance. Deep to deary, dear deary, deep listening. Ah, yes, I... I don't want to destroy that, not because of a fearful L-A-W, but because of a (laughs) loving, respectful L-O-R-E, a law that we are all part of for many. We're looking 2,000 generations ahead, not just behind. Yeah, anyway. No, no, anyway, that's you've just you've nailed it. You know, L A W versus L O R E. That is the difference, isn't it? L O R E law is is about everybody. It's making sure everybody has access to our to those beachfront views and to those Davison plums. Whereas L A W really yeah. just just helps the people up here. Up here, the nice little fat cats keeps them well fed, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> um, yes. When you look at sorry, just quickly. No, no, go. I was going to say just quickly, when you look at all the waterfront, all I mean, I'm sure along the whole coastline, but all the way along up here, you know, you know, from Gubby Gubby country all the way up from Kalula Coast all the way through to Caloundra, I, I, it'd be interesting to see how many mob actually live in a house that's right by the water, you know. Not to say that I'm comparing it and saying, oh, the, uh, you know, non-First Nation people shouldn't have it or whatever, but that's the disparity. And when I talk to my mum, she mm. often reminds us that we're the first generations to actually own a house. We're the first generations mm. to lift ourselves a little out of the what was passed down and handed over to a lot of European people. Like they naturally got land when they came here. They got, well, unless you're a convict, but if you came over, otherwise you were given land or you were given some money, you were given opportunities, and that was passed down. So Aboriginal First Nation, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are lifting themselves up out of that at the same time as trying to navigate living in a Western format still. Mm. That's still a Western format that still tries to assimilate. That's what, it blows my mind. You know, we talk about reconciliation, but really the white agenda is still assimilation. It's not actually about taking all of that you know, 60,000 years, 2,000 generations of knowledge, it's still trying to impart this white Western ways and the nine-to-five job and the, and it's, it's yes. why? I don't understand why. Yes, it's hard to understand. And the thing is it's often, you know, trying to be solved from the very place that has created it, which is the mind, because <laughs> the mind is very limited in its understanding it can't understand. For instance, it can't understand something that was never born and will never die. You know, mm. it can't because everything it sees, hears, and every sensory stimuli is it rises and falls, comes and goes. It cannot grasp that. And that is a key reflection of its limitation, its conceptual prison cell that it puts us in at times. Whereas we come back to our empathy and our intuition, we start to realize that we are more than the breaths we take. Yeah, we are more than the the things that we can touch. I think you've just answered my next question, but I'd like to ask it anyways. Is speaking of privilege um, and 
not being given opportunities uh, and privileges. How do you talk to your girls, your beautiful girls, about privilege and opportunities and race and equality? And, and do you have any tips on how we can open up that conversation more beautifully uh, with our kids? Yes, I, I with my girls, I endeavour to always keep it an open conversation no matter what we talk about. And, you know, my girls are very proud to be Aboriginal girls. I also share that we are part of, you know, beautiful mixed culture with my, my father, Scottish and Swedish, and their mamas, which I believe is English and another one. Anyway, and her father's Scottish. So those beautiful elements that make us all who we are. And I share it mm. as simple as when we walk in the forest, we hear that beautiful magpie, we hear that butcher bird and the lyrebird, and we hear the kookaburra sing its song. And then the crow comes in, rah, rah. This is the beauty of who we are. What we've got to see is that we're a symphony within and without. We're not one. And there should be no bird that says to every other, you should sing like me, because that's <laughs> where the trouble begins. And we understand that it begins within us, the empathy, the understanding. You know, many people have their faith in governments sorting it out for us, but I believe on a grassroots level, it's up to us as individuals to then ripple out and support others. And if other, others have opposing views, accept and understand that's, that's what they believe. And that's whether it's, you know, detrimental or, or, or constructive, irregardless. Not that you, you know, I, I, I wouldn't choose to be around those people. I'd say bless them and I love you over there. But <laughs> I think it's in deep acceptance. and. Race itself, I think for so long, like you mentioned in the first part about Black Lives Matter, you know, for a long time black lives haven't mattered, but it's been so politicised now and it's still used to, to, to pit us up against each other, division, black against white and white against black, man against woman, gay against straight. The thing is this is the very thing that this system thrives upon because when we're in that, we're in conflict, we're not united. And when we're not united, whether as a collective, you know, lineage group or sexual group, what I mean is, you know, whether it's Aboriginal people not united, whether it's, you know, LBGT community not united, what we are is we're diluted, we are fragmented, we are weakened. And in that we are not, I'm not talking about a force of physicality, but we are not a force that we can stand up in truth together because we are the 99%, all of us. But it's changed over time that governments believe that being the 1%, they can tell us what to do now. Not, I, I don't mean it in the way that they are our servants, but you know they are public servants. They're the ones that we, our taxes, our monies go to to support, yet we invest so much hope and praise in them to solve these issues. And they are the ones that are actually now telling us what to do rather than getting our advice, getting our, you know, collective um, input to in many ways. So for me, I believe that with my girls, it's about empowering them, empowering them with as many tools as I can for them to develop in their own nature. And I will nurture that with people and situations because I can't. I can't cover all perspectives and I never would try. But to provide them with a full gamut of perspectives that are, 
I believe, very empowering, whether it be, you know, sitting with um, those that do, you know, traditional fire making or natural weaving or those that talk about philosophy in a Western way, you know, those that talk about the constellations in traditional way rather than the way they get taught just in school, empowering them with a voice. Two little girls, especially being girls, I believe for me it's imperative to support their their voices. I, I do feel the change that is happening is part of a, a rebalancing into the feminine energy coming into its, I don't even like that word power because it's so, has so many connotations of control. Yeah. Coming into its power, more coming into walking with the universe in, in, you know, alongside them because it's been heavily patriarchally driven for so long. And I don't just mean the embodiment of the feminine, which is my girls and other female, but the embodiment, the, the feminine within all of us that has been so repressed, so pushed down, so pushed aside. So within them being strong females with beautiful empowered voices, knowing truth as much as I can, you know, provide them with opportunities to, when they do get into trouble or they're in situations where they, they feel they're surrounded or they feel that they're immersed in places that really are very hard, they have reference points within themselves to continually access and and utilize in those situations because I believe that they are our greatest investments, you know, whether it be my girls or any children. They are the ones that are going to decide whether I get put in a home or I get seen <laughs> the value of what I've done over these years and yourself and many others, and they get to determine what we do with this land, what we do, whether we become digital robots or we say, hey, enough is enough, we need to balance things out and come back to our community, local communities, our family and mother nature on a greater level. Mm, amazing. You're, we have covered the entire gamut of conversations which is so beautiful we haven't yet touched on your work can you tell us about what you're working on at the moment and um any any joyful projects you have coming up yes i i'm working on a series called cultural custodians and it will be an exhibition um down at the scenic rim gallery down in bow desert towards the end of the year I'm not sure i think it's october um so that will be a collection of works that speak very poignantly about the spiritual, I mean, even this word has connotations attached to it. Spiritual to me is our essential nature, you know, unclothed and raw and beyond what the finger can point to, but the finger's pointing in that direction. And the direction that these paintings point into is that we, in our experiences with Mother Nature, community, family, what we are doing is recognizing our true identity and in that storing ourselves back to vibrant health emotionally, mentally, physically, psychically, and spiritually. So for me, I'm using images in such a way. For one, I've got an uncle, uncle, beautiful uncle Wurunga, standing there in emu dance, and in that the back of the front of him is fully, you know, formed, but the back of him is breaking away into dots and reforming over the other side of the canvas into a traditional emu story. A lot of times, you know, apart from NADOC week here and things, we get this aspect where it's like, you know, and this speaks volumes to me, 
Oh, dance, Aborigine, dance for us. Oh, good one. Thank you. Back in the cupboard now. Mm. Well, I'm trying to invite an aspect that sees that these dances painted up these stories, these ceremonies, these are our fingers pointing to the moon. These are our essential nature as human beings all around the world. There are specific yeah. expressions to First Nations people here, but they point to all our origins. And if, you know, I'm inviting people to see the value of this and break down that wall of propaganda as we talked about and see that this is beautiful, this is something. When we look at that sunset, we are so transfixed and immersed. And it's like, wow, or we stare at a fire, a beautiful winter's night. There is something in there that nourishes us that we, we could intellectualize about it for hours and hours, but just a little, just to enjoy it. So these paintings are continually using First Nations people in a very poignant way to show that there is far more between the spaces than what you see on the surface level. And in that is an invitation for all of us to go, wow, we have much more meaning than the cars we own, the houses, the, th the things that say that it is me and my rather than we and ours. I think we, we get often taught that me and mine is the, 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 um, what it's about. And in that, it's always a destination. It's always when I get to there, when I have that, when I mm -hmm. obtain that, whereas it's about the journey and it's really about coming back to enjoying the moments and the moments blossoming within you to make you, allow you to realize you, even though you are one part of the whole ocean, the whole ocean is within you and we are that together. We are the entire collective quantum field without opening up a whole new dialogue. <laughs> but, yes, we are the infinite spaces. And some could say that's airy-fairy, but scientists, all mm. of those prove this and that, yeah. that, that is the truth. <laughs> I love the way your eyes lit up then as well. They've lit up a few times, but your whole face lit up then speaking of your art. It's beautiful. To finish up, I've taken up so much of your time and I'm so grateful for it. We generally finish with a couple of rapid-fire questions. Now, rapid doesn't seem to be feeling the right pace of these, so take your time on them. Um, what's your favourite book of all time and why, or what are you currently reading and enjoying? Um, I enjoy audio books because I don't, you know, I can make time, but often my time is balanced between having little ones and anyway, running a business and art and property and community um, commitments. At the moment, I'm listening to a lot of audio stuff on um, Brian Scott, which is this beautiful, you know, touches on a variety of subjects, but beautiful, you know, spiritual, metaphysical connection with self mm -hmm. and understanding that abundance is something that is a part of our central nature and we are shaped and shifted into belief that we are not that. So it's a beautiful thing because it, you know, I can say that I love, you know, certain books out there like Dark Emu, Bruce Pascoe. You know, I've I read some of Garamal, you know, Uncle Archie, Uncle Jack Charles's, auto, you know, biographies, autobiographies or biographies and they, beautiful things. You know, they all, but they all point in that direction of understanding the lives and the hardships that they've gone through um, come back mm -hmm. to this recognizing and realizing that we are abundant and we, 
often get caught in this very small aspect. And anyway, it's a rapid. I won't go into a dialogue. So yes, and I, I'm I'm enjoying the pace. <laughs> I'm going to look him up. I've heard of him, but I haven't actually listened to any of him. So I will. I'll put him on my list. Where do you go, or what do you do to reset after a rough day? Um, for me, I live on ten acres here, so to come back home. And I say home because I feel very at home. It's ground zero for me. I can come here. If I wish to, I can close the gate, which is 150 metres from my house and and just sit. Um, I do have bamboo forest here, which, you know, up to 160 big massive clumps, which leaves a big mattering floor, often just to sit in them and lay back in the breeze moving through them. Um, can make all of it dissolve. I do find myself sometimes a little bit fragmented with so much time out there, um, which I see as beautiful because it, you know, it, it's being part of so many beautiful things and affecting beautiful people. But to come back and be here, if not at the ocean, the ocean itself, there is something that, yeah, is so vast. But sitting there by that water, there's some beautiful places between Coolum and um, Sunshine Beach that are my favourite. Mm. Mm, it's magic up there, isn't it? And there is something about a bamboo forest. I, I know it's, you know, it's not our native species, but there's sound yeah. in amongst it. You can't be anywhere else but in a bamboo forest when you're in there. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Amazing, mind blowing. And last one for today, where can we find out more about your work? You can find me at www.jandamara'sart com website mm-hmm. and Jandamara's Art on Instagram, on Facebook, and um, I will be having an exhibition towards the end of the year. So I'm painting towards that. I've hopefully finished a piece by the end of the month for the Archibald. And yeah, I, I'm, I live on the Sunshine Coast, Gubby Gubby, Kabi Kabi country. So I'm often involved with a lot of beautiful events and happenings up here. But um, yeah, you can see online works on those those uh, social media platforms. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time and for your grace, for your acceptance and for your wisdom. You're a truly spectacular soul and the world is far better for having you in it and I really appreciate you gifting us with your time and, and knowledge. Thank you, Nikki. Very much an honour and uh, I can say with that with full confidence we are walking in the same direction so bless wow what an incredible human being to have come from such trauma and to have lived through such hardship and then to have come out the other side with not just acceptance but forgiveness grace courage and wisdom I'm not sure I could say I would have come out the same and I know many whom would have come out the other side instead bitter, angry and spiteful. Jandamara didn't speak about this but he is available for guest speaking and ambassador and mentorship roles and I would personally very strongly recommend that you invite him in for a cup of tea or three and see just how you can work together. He would be an absolutely incredible asset to any childcare centre, forest school, classroom or business. So please do make contact with him if uh, he's resonated with you in any way. Now, we've just got one more announcement before we go, and that is that we have just started offering equality discounts across all of our programs. 
Societal imbalances and white supremacist patriarchal structures mean that not all members of society are afforded the same opportunities and privileges. Wildlings Forest School wishes to acknowledge the systemic oppression that our society perpetuates by offering this sliding scale pricing structure. We are committed to continuous learning and unlearning to dismantle these unfair structures in our own community and beyond. And yes, we know that that will mean that we do take a pay cut, but that also means that we are part of the repatriation and the healing of this country and in turn in the world. So inspired by Bethan from Women's Circle, that's WMN Circle, you should absolutely go and follow her. We are now offering discounts of 30% for Black folks, First Nation folks, people of colour, LGBTQI plus folks and single caregivers. We're also offering one free community ticket uh, to anyone who cannot access the event due to finances. And this one is a first in best dress scenario. You can find the codes for these discounts on our website in, in our frequently asked questions when you go to book your program. Our hope is that this will enable some families that may not have been able to access our programs previously to now be able to access them and most importantly, show families that Wildlings is a safe place for all families. The forest should be accessible for all. Until next time, thank you as always for this journey. Stay wild.